This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are really, really excited about... <laughs> that sounded kind of like I wasn't really that excited about being really that excited. <laughs> We really we're back. Are, what he's trying to say is we're back. It's <laughs> we're back. been it's been two weeks of from the vaults, which we hope you guys really liked because we enjoyed putting them up. And we're gonna follow up today with some info about some of the stuff you just listened to. But wait, Dad, what do we do here on this show? <laughs> I thought this would be the first podcast where we didn't explain what we do in <laughs> precise terms, such as An extensive we rambling. Are Go for it. Extensively rambling about something to do with Buffett and Munger and investing <laughs> properly and forget about efficient market theory and don't do anything that people tell you to do. Unless, of course, you prefer to remain <laughs> ignorant and then do everything they tell you to do. I think that's it right there. Whoa. <laughs> so, so my choice is rambling Buffett or ignorance. All right. Yes. Yes. That is, if you prefer to stay ignorant, then you must do what everyone, including Warren Buffett, tells you to do, which is to massively diversify, which we would consider over-diversification. But you have to because you don't have a clue what you own. And so... If you were a real estate investor, this would be the equivalent. And if you had enough money to do it, this would be the equivalent of buying a thousand houses. Just sort of randomly buy a thousand houses because you wouldn't know a good one from a bad one and a good neighborhood from a bad neighborhood or a good school from a bad school. You just simply don't have a clue. So buy a thousand houses. Otherwise, don't invest in real estate. That, that, that's sort of the moral equivalency. Of okay. how dumb do you want to stay? I think that's it. I, I feel like I just say it like that. I feel like this isn't the thing you're going for, but I kind of think if you bought a thousand houses like across, let's say the U.S., mm-hmm. you'd probably do okay. Sure, you'd do okay. Okay, absolutely, you'd do okay, and that's the whole point: is you're going to do okay. Ah, okay, okay, okay. You're yeah, saying if you diversify you're saying you'll, widely, you'll do okay, but we want to do better than okay. Yeah, you're going to do okay. You're going to have houses in Fairfield, Iowa yeah. that haven't appreciated since 1821. <laughs> and you're going to have... <laughs> we, we love Fairfield, Iowa, by the way. We're not not intentionally picking on Fairfield. I There's a houses, lot of lovely people there I who meditate. I bet houses have appreciated in Fairfield, actually. They have appreciated somewhat. Um, or you could have homes in Detroit, which are now bulldozed and you're they're gone. Or you could have homes in La Jolla, California, or Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or New yeah. York City, all of which have done spectacularly well. So you, you're going to get a, a, an array. And of course, if you wanted to do spectacularly well with real estate, you would look carefully for the markets and carefully for the houses. And you'd only pick houses that have good neighborhoods that are likely to continue to grow and have good schools and are places that people would want to move into and the houses designed properly. And has three bedrooms and, you know, 
Yeah. On and on. Yeah. In other words, it's it's not rocket science being a real estate investor. If you're only going to buy one or two, you better do the work. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that's the same thing with stock investing. It just You just better do the work unless you are willing to just be massively diversified and have okay returns. And for most people, honest to God, most people should just do that. They're not prepared to do the work. And unfortunately, well, so uh, for I, most people, that's not possible. That. I have a quibble hmm? with that. We will, get, we will get to what we want to talk about, which is Tesla. But I have a quibble with that first. Uh-huh. Because, because you just said most people are not willing to do the work. And I would say there are some people who are willing to, who, are, who do not want to do the work. But I think, and I'm thinking about this a lot lately, for many of us, including me, it's not that we don't want to do the work. It's that we don't know how to do the work and we don't know how to do it in a way that's a happy part of our lives instead of it being some terrible, <laughs> you know, digging a ditch kind of feeling of something that we're supposed to be doing and we don't want to be doing it. So how do we turn finding a house somewhere in the United States or whatever country you're in into something that's joyful and fun and feels like a really good part of your life. That's what I care about. Cause that's what I had to do with this investing thing. And I've been thinking about it like crazy. Cause I'm whoever follows me on Instagram knows I'm working on this course about it. And I'm so excited about it, which I'll tell you guys about another time. I'm not trying to get into the course thing, but it's like so interesting to me how we can turn something that is so far away from most of us, which is money and investing and finance and markets and turn it into something that's about our values and the beautiful parts of life and the humans that are out there really trying to make a difference and do good things in the world. And that's what brings joy to it. So, so my quibble is it's not about just like doing the work. It's about finding a way to make it not feel like work. That's really good. Oh man! Oh, thanks. I have to say, you've, you've you're inspiring an old guy who's <laughs> grinded away at this. And no, but here's I, why, Dad. And here's why it was so <laughs> hard for me to learn this stuff in the beginning, or, or not learn it, but like get into it. It was really hard for me because to you, my teacher, it's fun automatically. Like you love this stuff and you always have and you naturally gravitated towards it. And it it was a great part of your life from the get go. So and I think that's true, frankly, for probably everybody who's in the finance world or else they wouldn't (laughs) have gone into it. Right. But for for everybody else who has to, like, figure this thing out, it's not an automatic easy entry. It's not automatically fun. We have to find a way into it. And that's okay. And there's nobody else out there saying that's okay to feel like it's not fun, to feel like it's work. It's okay to feel like that. And it's not okay to make it, to keep it like that. It's not okay for it to stay like that or else we will not do it because we're not masochists. Boy, that is so true. I, I just never really thought about that, but there is no one out there saying what you're saying. Well, I'm saying it. And And I I think, I think we're going to make, we're going to make a difference. I really think 
the more of us and us is people like me who really like, it's not like we're dumb. We can figure this stuff out. Everybody listening, we can figure this stuff out. It is not <laughs> that hard. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And my dad can testify to that. <laughs> I will testify to that. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, <laughs> I have a lot of skills that people who are naturally finance people don't have. And we who are not naturally finance people have a lot of skills that are extremely useful in the investing space. Um, and we're not given any credit for them because nobody else cares, but I care and we care and we can use these, um, these skills of understanding the qualitative side of investing to our advantage and actually make us stronger investors. I firmly believe I am a better investor than a lot of other people who came naturally to this stuff because I had to go through every single step along the way consciously in my practice. So when things get hard, I am going to be able to lean on that experience that I have and go back and go, oh yeah, I remember when I was really scared, this is how I got through it. And now I'm scared again and I'm going to get through it again in the same way. Whereas I think for other people who... Um, who naturally came to this stuff and it's all been amazing and it's also great. And they're like masters of the universe and whatever wolves of wall street. And then things get hard and they don't have any backup. They don't have any experience to lean on. So I think we are actually stronger long-term investors. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, dad. Look at, look at you. <laughs> look at all the weeks off. <laughs> 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 wow. I think everything you've just said is incredibly useful to people. I really do because there are no uh, there's no there are no experts out there in in the world that I'm in who are going to say, "Yeah, you have advantages for being non sort of non-investment oriented if you could say it like yeah that. i wouldn't i it, would say non-accounting like non-numbers oriented non-numbers person yeah. for for a world in, in other words it's like you're going to come into a new country and the new country speaks this language called numbers precisely and it's like me with any language i'm completely hopeless it's just listening to gibberish over and over again and um, and so I feel you, right, for that. If you're in this world where, yeah, I, I can speak that language. I I've, I've, was surprised when I got into that apprenticeship and immediately clicked. It's just like, oh, yeah, I got this. Mm -hmm. This is this is not hard. Um, the way a lot of people would feel about learning Spanish or something, right? I have friends who just pick up languages. So there's just nothing to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim Ferriss, for example, learned Japanese in six months. <laughs> On his own. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, Tim. Right? But I think investing is hard for him. He doesn't... It, I don't think he sort of grocks investing, if I can use that old word. <laughs> and um, and so this is great for people like that, who, who are they're not naturally gifted at the language of business, which is numbers, um, and require sort of really, really step-by-step -step progress or step-by-step or -step detailed instruction on how to get into that language. Yeah, exactly. And it can be done. So I'm excited about it. But that is not why we're here today. It is well, sort it of. Well, it is. It is. You're right. This, it's it why, is it's why we're why doing we're all of this. Yeah, you're right. 
I mean, but it is even to the point of this, which is, um, I would say a lot of the point of getting into your own investing has to be about making the world a better place mm-hmm. and, and putting your money where your mouth is in terms of your values. And there's a real problem out there with people who feel strongly about, you know, supporting their values in the world and voting their values politically, voting their values with their money, voting their values with their actions, you know, being a person of integrity. That's, that's a hard thing in this world. And a lot of people just say, well, I can't vote for my values because there's no one out there who has my values. And so they may not vote, which is also voting your value. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's not simple. And so what people sometimes do is they'll go for, um, let's say, socially conscious or some kind of investing that's that's sort of values-oriented investing. And then they'll watch their returns go down or they'll watch, the, you know, they'll watch the company that supposedly has values that they share buy stuff that they don't like. I mean, it's difficult, right? And so one of the, one of the, things that people do when it's difficult is they'll either not invest at all or they'll just buy stuff because they like it, which is horrible. Yeah. And they'll, and they'll say, well, it doesn't matter so much because I know that I'm buying something that I care about. So I have to accept lower returns. Right. Terrible. Or, or or I'll, I'll, I'll hope to get greater returns because I buy something I like and I think it's going to be fantastic. Like Tesla. (laughs) is going to be fantastic in the world. And look at what Elon Musk is doing to change the world in a, in a great direction. And um, and I'm not being facetious. I mean, seriously, he's trying very, very hard from a very strong values perspective to, to alter the climate change, to, uh, to adjust massively, to adjust the, the main generator of carbon monoxide and horrible poisoning in the air, which is automobiles and and trying to get those things over to a much better car a car that was better in 1910 it was better it was faster safer less problems in every way better well um safer electric car right safer huh well the car in 1910 was safer well, only in the sense that you have less moving parts, you got less things that can go wrong. You don't have to crank it. Those that was dangerous. You could people would break their arm trying to start their car. Yeah, that's true. They would go outside with a with a crank like with an airplane, right? Yeah. You just crank the propeller. You'd do that to start your car, and it would snap back on you and break your arm. Oh, and, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so here you have this simple, simple little box that's just running this car. And yeah, it's much, it was safer. It was, it doesn't catch on. Well, I guess they could catch on fire, but obviously you don't have gasoline to deal with, which is dangerous. So it, in every way, it was a better car. It was, had the speed record and everything, but it couldn't go very far mm-hmm. without a, uh, running out of battery. And they, it's batteries have been a real difficult thing. And, and Musk is trying to change that. Yeah. So I'm 100% with, so, with the guy in terms of his motivation. It's awesome. And here you've got this company you can invest in and support this wonderful effort. Yeah, right? which I'm totally into. So we're going to talk about Tesla today. And guys, we put up a, an old episode about Tesla two weeks ago. Um, which I said, listen and see if you agree with the stuff that we said and if it happened or not. So now we're going to update that with um, with what's going on with it now. Because 
Yeah. Oh, and by the oh, the other thing I wanted to say is I know we promised to do Craft Heinz and I know a bunch of you are excited about it and you've been emailing me and messaging me and we are going to do it. So we have not forgotten, but we got to talk about all you macaroni and cheese fans. That's right. It's still coming. That's right. Um, but we wanted to talk about <laughs> Tesla because of the one we put up from the vault. And yeah, I find this one such a conundrum because it's everything you just said. It's like a fantastic charismatic founder. It's a fantastic charismatic mission of changing the world and reducing emissions and helping people live safer, better, uh, easier lives with their, um, what are they calling it? Self-driving cars, I guess. I always call them robot cars, but yeah. Self, what are they like? Autopilot, they call it. Um, and not to mention all the other sort of synergies that he, that Musk has with his other companies like SpaceX. So it's such a like it's and when Tesla's came out, it was so exciting because nobody from a major car company had done this yet. So for him to actually put cars on the road that are safe and fast and exciting and beautiful. It's an absolutely extraordinary achievement. And it's a real bummer to be somebody who's like, I don't like Tesla. I don't like being the person who's like, I don't like Tesla. <laughs> I wish that I could be like, I love Tesla. I'm all in. This is so awesome. I, I own a Tesla. I'm super into it. But I'm just not that person. So dad, I went and I test drove a Tesla my husband and I, oh. Nuno and I, went and test drove oh, a Tesla. Yes, um, he really wants an electric car. And so, what we have now is a VW Tiguan, which is not an exciting car at all, but very practical. And our lease is up sometime this fall or winter. And so we have like. What, well, it's winding down now, like four or five months or something until the lease is up. So we have to decide what car we're going to get. And he doesn't want to keep, he hates the Tiguan. So, so he wants an exciting <laughs> car because he loves to drive. And I totally understand yes. it. I personally think our boring VW is fine, but whatever. So he really wants an electric car. And I actually just looked up this article about Tesla and it says, wait, I got to read this thing. Um, there's a huge gender gap, actually, between men and women in buying electric vehicles, which I thought was super interesting. I, I didn't know about this. But um, it's this article in the USA Today, which is from July 8th by Nathan Bomey. And it's called Why Tesla Has a Problem Appealing to Women. Electric Cars Elon Musk May Be Off-Putting. And there's a section in here where they say, now oh, I have to find it because I scrolled up to see the headline. Key to Tesla's challenges among all consumers. There's a perception that electric vehicles are a hassle because you need to regularly charge them to avoid getting stranded. But for women, it's even more problematic because they tend to be more practical than emotional when it comes to vehicle purchases. I love it. Women are more practical than emotional when it comes to vehicle purchases. Caldwell, who's this uh, automotive expert, said, 
Automotive research indicates that women are more likely than men to focus on functionality and cost of ownership when shopping for a car, rather than macho-sounding features like Tesla's so-called, quote, ludicrous mode, which enables aggressive driving. Okay, now let me just tell you. Which means zero to 60 in like... like Three seconds, which is so Um, awesome. In my own home, I have been living everything I just read in this article (laughs) because my husband just really wants this electric car. And I said, okay, fine. I will think about it. But if I want to drive to a random town in the Swiss Alps alone and go away for the weekend and meet somebody there, whatever... How am I going to do that in an electric car without having to spend an hour sitting on the side of the road at one of these chargers and having to build that in? So we went and we test drove a Tesla and presented that exact question to the Tesla sales guy, who was a fantastic, super nice guy who clearly loves the company, has drunk the Kool-Aid. I said, is the company going down? And he looked like emotionally insulted. And so I dropped my line of questioning because then I felt bad. <laughs> he, he was just like, this company is fantastic. He like loves it so much. So, um, so I'm sitting there like the wet blanket being like, is the company going down? Can your car make it to random towns in the Swiss Alps? And Nuno's standing there being like, tell me all about the massive range and how fast it can go. And oh my God, the door locks are so easy. And the, um, what do you call it? Like the little, the door handles on the outside, they go in, you know, and you have to kind of like wave your hand over them. All these, I was just like, what the heck are we paying for here? So, <laughs> no, but it goes zero to 60 yeah, in 2.9. Um, do you know how much it costs to buy a car that goes zero to 60 yeah, in 2.9? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I definitely any other do. sort of car? <laughs> it costs a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> I'm guessing ballpark 180, 180,000 maybe. If you can get a Porsche that can get there in 2.9, I'm not sure you can. Well, I mean, that's so fast. It's just ridiculous. So we drove the Model X, which is the bigger one. It's sort of an SUV, but kind of weird. And I feel like that one, I didn't pay a lot of attention because I was like, this is nuts. But I think it was like 150,000 Swiss francs, something like that. For a... is Is that dollars too? It's roughly the same as dollars, but it's more expensive in Switzerland than it is in the U.S. because they're made in the U.S. and then they ship them over. And Mm. also it's kind of like the Swiss market is very into Teslas. So I think there's a little bit of a like luxury markup. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I think Mm. I think it's more expensive in Switzerland, although I haven't really done my comparison research because I think the whole thing is ridiculous. But so we test drove this car. So first of all, the guy was super nice and they they're just beautiful on the inside. Absolutely gorgeous. And I know those of you listening who own Teslas are just raging at me right now. They're so beautiful on the inside and they're comfortable and the seats are comfortable and the electronics are gorgeous. It's just one, it's basically like a giant iPad uh, where all the usual like AC controls are. And that is just the control pad for everything in the car. And it brings up this gorgeous huge map for your navigation and on the map you can put in for it to show you all the charging stations around you wherever you are and then what you do is you put in where you're going to go 
and it shows you that and then you know it does the like navigation thing and shows you your route and then along the route it tells you when to stop to charge which which is really smart so and then tesla has these quick chargers which only take i think he said about 20 minutes so it doesn't charge it fully but it charges it sort of like tops it up and then you know again from your map and because the map note is in your car it knows how much juice you have left in your battery it tells you then when to stop the next time so you can plan ahead and you'll be able to see on the map like oh i'm gonna stop in two hours and it's supposed to even tell you if there are specific uh what do you call it like jacks available at this at a given place like it'll say like there are three um I don't know what the words are for these things. There are three plugs there and two of them are being used and there's one available. So it's like supposed to be really easy and user-friendly. So they have done a great job of trying to assuage that worry that I certainly have and many people have about running out of power in the middle of nowhere and not knowing what to do. You can also plug Tesla. So those are like the supercharged Tesla places, which are special Tesla made chargers but you can also charge it at any electric vehicle charging station it just takes you know like an hour and i have to say in switzerland there are a lot of these charging stations around now like i notice them regularly so it's not like it was even five years ago and you hardly ever saw one they're really everywhere so i don't know if that's just switzerland doing a good job of putting infrastructure in or if it's the market demand but it seems to be growing have you been seeing that in the U.S., Dad? Or have you just um, not noticed so much? I live in the world. I live in the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> what I see here is an e an e truck would disrupt things pretty good. What's an e truck? <laughs> e -truck. Oh, like an, an electric e -truck truck. Or, yeah, we need electric trucks because oh. everybody's got a truck out here where we live. Well, you know that's it's, the future: electric trucks. I you know what and and if they, when they when they get them. They're going to be, and I think they're starting to actually get them put together on this big Freightliner stuff. Um, but, yeah, the whole thing about a truck is what can it pull? And an electric motor, I, little I understand about it, but I, I think they have a lot more torque than a gas or a diesel engine has. A, you know, everybody, most people are pulling trailers or pulling with a diesel because it has more mm. torque, and uh, meaning it can, it can pull more weight from a dead stop mm. and mm. with less effort. And I think an electric engine has m just massive torque and um, is going to, I mean, I think we would probably be really interested in replacing it. But then again, you run into this problem of how far can I go on a charge? Because when you're hauling animals, you cannot break down on the road. That does not work. And, um, you know. Yeah. So it sounds like to me from my visit to the Tesla Center, basically the answer is you plan ahead and you know where you're going to stop. And once you sort of make that switch in your mind, it seems like people don't really mind that. Well, that's so probably much. smart. I mean, we were driving across. We, we haul our horses out to Jackson Hole and um, from Atlanta. And, you know, we sort of just don't think about it. You'll just find a diesel station when you start to run out of diesel, right? And we got mm -hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska someplace, and there was no – it was a Sunday, and there was one – closed diesel in st after another and we almost ran out we had a five gallon 
uh, spare. Because it was just hard to find diesel yeah. pumps. It was hard like to find there the were diesel. Gas- gasoline pumps but not diesel right exactly and we had we had to put in the five gallons of extra diesel into the tank to get to where we could get to a d if we didn't have that we would run out of fuel with horses and that that was shocking to me at this day and age that you could get into a stretch of country on a sunday where you couldn't get diesel in a in a range and um well diesel's really going out I mean, it it's is essentially becoming, yeah, it's essentially becoming illegal is the wrong word, but they're being regulated out of Europe, basically. Well, yes, yeah, like you Europe. really can't. Right. Yeah. That's Europe. That is but not it's the America. Same... America, yeah. we got diesel because we got diesel but trucks. Your experience shows you actually don't got diesel well, in the market. What my experience shows is that after 50 years of diesel trucks being on the highway, there are still some gaps in having stations. And the point is, you're going to see that a lot bigger with electric cars than you have with diesel. You're going to see gaps. And so I think the, the, the big problem for people who have an electric truck is going to be that, you know, we sometimes want to drive across the country. That's not yeah. the case so much with a car um, where you can keep it to your commute, you know? So I have an interesting solution for you, which is not Tesla's solution. Mm. There's another car, because again, I'm living with somebody who really wants an electric car, so I get to hear about these things all the time. Mm. He does my research for me. So straight from (laughs) Nuno's car research, there's this other car that I can't remember what it is. I want to say it's a Toyota or BMW. Somebody will know, and you will email me. Um, It has a tiny gas tank in it. So it's not a hybrid car. It runs only on the electric, on the battery, but it has a small five-gallon gas tank in it that you keep for exactly those emergencies oh. where you run out of, um, of battery. And what that gas tank does is then power the battery. So you still run off the battery, but it's just, it somehow like powers it for enough that you're supposed to be able to drive. What would five gallons get you? Like... Let's say like 30 miles or something like that. I don't know what the conversion is from. Yeah, I don't know either. You know, but it was it was enough that you could get somewhere if you were kind of roughly in the middle of nowhere, not too far away. So that I said, oh, I would consider that car because that makes me feel a little bit safer. But it's not it's not right there. You just hit on the big problem for uh, for Tesla is that. There are about, by the year 2022, so we're talking three years from now, there are projected to be 200 electric cars in the market, mm-hmm. 200, um, which are offering innovations. You know, I mean, Tesla can't do everything all the time, all at once. And so there's going to be innovations which are very valuable to people of a certain market that Tesla doesn't have that's going to attract people. Um, and this is such a significant problem that, I mean, Audi came out with its uh, e-tron car in Europe. I don't know if you've seen these oh, stats. Yeah. I know I haven't seen stats, but I've seen the car. Yeah. And the Audi e-tron, if you take the sales ranging across North America and Europe, um, those sales have added up to just the, just the e-tron is adding up to, uh, to Tesla sales. Oh, really? So... Yeah, that makes sense to me. 
it's a little scary for Tesla to be now running hard into the teeth of competition that's been built on its back, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, And unfortunately, I've been here before where I've seen this, I've seen this, uh, this movie with Steve Jobs at the next computer where Steve, another massively genius innovator, um, insisted on things being just a certain way of his version of what's right. And they created this box that required special everything and um, an operating system that was completely unique in the world, which, by the way, is now what all Mac and all the Macs run on. Uh, the Mac operating system is the old Next operating system. Um, but it took so long to develop this thing and get it finally to a place where they could put the prices where people could buy them, right? They were trying to sell them to Stanford students for $6,000 per computer. doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so by the time the price got down, it was too late. Windows had come in with its own version of an operating system yeah. that would do a yeah. lot of the same job. Yeah, you hit on it. It's the price. I mean, if that Tesla that we drove were not 150,000 Swiss francs, which just blows my mind, or if it were, let's say, 75,000, still like a lot and a definite luxury car, which it is. It's really nice. And all of its, um, I don't know, its components, I guess, on the inside are made by Mercedes. And you feel it. It feels like a Mercedes on the inside to me. Um if that car were about half price, I'd go, oh, yeah, this is this is about right. Like, this seems like it's worth $75,000. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that's, that's the price of a very nice Mercedes. It's the price the of way. a very nice Mercedes. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. It's like, it's this first mover problem. Mm-hmm. And he's created, he's done such an amazing job creating the desire. And these other more established companies are are catching up and they are, they're catching up. Let me add one more thing about the test drive, which was actually a problem for me, which I'm kind of curious to see if this changes in other electric cars made by other manufacturers. So what happens when you drive, and I think this is true of most electric cars, when you drive um, and you press the gas pedal, it goes forward like normal. If you ease up on the gas pedal, it acts like a brake. So you actually end up slowing down a lot more quickly than you do in a regular gas or diesel car because, because it slows itself. And I was not used to that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't used to that. And I kept on sort of taking my foot off the gas pedal and the car would kind of like lurch. Lurch and back, yeah. Yeah. And even when I was driving, I was driving. I got car sick driving that car oh no and and i it was add, not add that to elon musk's misery it's know, like oh right? no my car makes some people car sick and, and i was oh, kind of, i was embarrassed man. i didn't say anything for a while because i was like oh no i'm just like the nerd who gets car sick and then it got so bad that i actually thought i was gonna have to pull over and have somebody else drive so i mentioned it to the uh salesman who was riding with us and he didn't miss a beat and said, oh, let me put it on the um, like easy driving mode. So he clicked a button and it went into a different mode and that lessened. And the way that he said it made me think I was not the first person mm-hmm. to have that reaction. Mm-hmm. 
which was really interesting to me. So maybe it's just something we all kind of have to get used to. Like maybe that's just, it's just how it is. And that's a really good feature because it saves energy. And if I have an electric car in the future, I'll just have to get used to that. Or maybe some car manufacturer is going to switch that up. I don't know. But I definitely got out of that car going, I mean, my reaction was it's too expensive. It made me car sick. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just, I don't know if Teslas are going to be around in 10 years. And there's the rub. Mm -hmm. Uh, In so many ways, there's the rub. So Tesla's stock, um, by the way, is has been jacked up by true believers, right? These are people who have an emotional stake in the company. They're not being rational about their investing in the least. And the stock got up to 380 bucks a share back in 2016, I think, late 2016. Got up to $380 a share. And as recently as the end of May, it was at 185. So it cut almost in 185. half. 185. Yeah. Wow. Cut almost in half. It's now at 231. It's rebounded a bit. Um, but the problem for people who, who buy stock emotionally and not objectively, um, when, and we're saying this in the context of being values type investors, we want to buy things that we're deeply emotionally connected to that we want to see in the world. We don't want to separate that from our investing mind, but we don't want to separate our mind either. And we have to look at the reality of this company as being a first mover and the problems with it. And here's the crazy thing. Even though the stock price has gone down almost by half, even today at this price at 231, um, that means that the entire company, remember we, if we buy one share, we want to think about buying the entire company. The entire company is valued at $41 billion. Okay. Well, right now, right right now now at 41 billion. So it was valued at, I don't know, 80 billion or something before. So not quite that much, but, 41 billion today. Now let me put that in perspective. You can buy Ford for 40 billion dollars today. Mm. Ford with all of its established dealers with all the cars and when you buy Ford, you get a 15 billion dollar operating cash flow. So op cash 15 billion when you buy Tesla it, yeah. for 41 billion, you get 2 billion dollars of operating cash flow. One seventh the cash flow coming through the thing, not to mention all the establishments of every of, of the dealers and the whole thing. Same thing with GM. You could buy GM for fifty four billion and get fifteen billion of cash flow. You could buy here Fiat Chrysler's at twenty eight billion, and it owns um, Maserati, mm-hmm. right? It owns Jeep. Ram trucks. It owns Jeeps. Um, you can buy that. You get a ten billion dollar operating cash flow rather than $2 billion operating cash flow. So, I mean, man, you could pay a third less and get five times the cash flow. And at some point, that reality starts to sink into investors. And I think we're getting close to that point now, where as other companies like Audi come up with completely competitive cars, I mean, that Audi e-tron goes 280 miles. And, um, you know, it's not going to be a rocket ship like the Tesla, but it's still a nice car. And um, yeah. when those, when, 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 I mean, think about it, when Mercedes comes in with its car and Toyota comes in with its car, mm-hmm. I mean, all of these are coming in now and uh, I just, man, it's just hard to see how Tesla could possibly be worth five times more cash flow for a company that sells two thirds of its price. It just, 
How's that possible? Which means that people who are investing right now are very, very unlikely to have a company that's a better price down the road in 10 years if the company even exists. In mm. other words, the reality of it is all going to come due. And that's what well, happened with Steve Jobs. As good as he is, as smart as he was, um, I'm sorry, but Next went down. It, it failed and ultimately was acquired by Apple for a, a pittance. So be very careful about voting your values. I think that's the lesson here today. Be, you have to vote your values, but you have to use your brain while you're doing it. So we want to combine both our emotional connection to the companies we love and a brain that says, as much as I love you, uh, you're not a good investment right now, not at this price. Well, I want to learn about the people selling Tesla short, because I think this is a really good way to learn about short sellers and how they affect us as, yeah. as long investors. So let's talk about that next time. Yeah, because one of the best short sellers, two of the best short sellers that I know of in the world on the planet are short Tesla. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that next time. Okay. Until Thanks, everybody. Then, Bye. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.